welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We started last week our series on vineyard values, and v- values are important. Why are, why are values important? Um, culture is important uh, to us here at Vineyard Cleveland, culture is typically defined as like the way people do things, the way people speak, the way, uh, the food that people eat, the songs that they listen to. Um, And so culture typically is formed through behavior. And behavior happens as a result of the values that we hold inside, the ideas that we think, the things that we think about, the ideas, the things that we believe in with our hearts. And so there's this process of beliefs turning, uh, values turning into behavior, the outworking of those values that we hold, resulting in the culture that we're a part of and the culture that we shape. At Vineyard Cleveland, we believe that, uh, yes, the, the church is not to be peripheral to the world, but um, it's the other way around. We're to usher in Christ's culture and pray the Lord's Prayer and work towards the Lord's Prayer along with the entire, the global church. Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Here on earth, as it is where you are, we want to see God's rule, Jesus, the kingdom. What does that mean? The, the rule and the reign of Jesus all of the good stuff that Jesus had in him as a person and all of the things that he expressed as he was living here on earth, healing and freedom and forgiveness. And today we'll talk about recon- reconciliation. So we at the Vineyard, uh, the Vineyard Movement at large and then here at Vineyard Cleveland, we believe we are called by God to be a reconciling community. We're called to be a reconciling community. So today I wanted to uh, share with you and have a conversation with you about what that looks like. What does, it look, what does reconciliation look like um, for us as individuals, for us as a community, for nations? Yes, grand scale nations. God's heart is that the nations would be reconciled to him. The dream, God's dream is bigger than just you and I, as complex as we may be as individuals. God dreams his dream over cities. God dreams his dream over nations. God dreams his dream over the world. And so as a community of faith, as people who follow Jesus, what we're saying when we say we want to be a reconciling community is we want to share in that. We want to partner with God in bringing life to the city by taking broken things and making them whole. That's really God's heart in reconciliation, is taking broken things and making them whole. There's not one person here that's sitting here today who has not been broken. And that's the way we come. The vineyard is, that's what I love so much about the vineyard, this whole thing of coming as you are and being loved right where you're at. That Jesus takes you as he finds you. You don't have to dress up for God. You don't have to hype yourself up for God. You don't have to try and be something holy for God. God's got that thing figured out in the person of Jesus. And so hopefully we'll see that today. This week I came across an artist who lives in Philadelphia. His name is, there he is. That's Isaiah uh, 
Zagar, and he's a mural artist. He, he kind of looks like Santa, doesn't he? <laughs> he just looks happy. He looks joyous. Isaiah Zagar is a wonderful artist, and this week I came across his, his work. He uh, lives in Philadelphia, and he does these murals um, in South Philadelphia. One you might be familiar with are the Magic Gardens, and they're, they've really become world-renowned. I mean, um, just amazing pieces of art. And what's amazing about them is that Isaiah goes to different like junkyards or scrapyards and picks up all of these broken pieces of things, whether it's metal or gold sometimes or aluminum or you see glass bottles. There are all kinds of these scrap materials that we throw out. Side note, isn't it interesting about our culture when something breaks, what do we want to do with it? We want to throw it out. God doesn't throw anything away. God doesn't throw people away. Okay. Um, And so Isaiah takes all of these broken things, these scraps, and he fits them together to form something beautiful. And I, I just thought, wow, what a picture of what church is supposed to look like. The people of God. Broken things coming together to fit into place by the, by the artist himself. Not by anything that we do, but by God fitting together as one cohesive, beautiful mosaic. The people of God. What a picture of what community is supposed to look like. As a reconciling community, I long for our church to look like one of Isaiah Zagar's murals. And not just our church, right, but our city. Our city, we want our city to look like. Because it would be a shame if we said, ah, we just want the church to look like this inside of these walls, you know. But outside, you know, that's fine. They can look like whatever they want to look like. No, no, no. We, we believe that we are new create. We'll get into this a little bit. We believe that we are new creation. That when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that's something of new humanity a new way of living was started. A new way to live was started. And that we are a part of that new humanity. And it's, just, it's not just for like little vineyard Cleveland. It's for everywhere. God's dream is huge. It's for everywhere. It's not just for Parma Heights. It's not just for Cleveland. It's not just for Northeast Ohio. It's for everywhere. And deep down, our hearts long for that. We long to see more freedom. We want to see the opioid epidemic end in Cleveland. We want to see freedom. We want to see hope. We want to see less people on antidepressants. We want to see that. Those are things that we want to see. We want to see less children, no children, living on the streets in Cuyahoga County. Not 3,000 of them. None. That's what the kingdom looks like. The rule and reign of Jesus is that no children are homeless. None. And so today we're going to talk about reconciling community and what that looks like for us. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that our world is broken. We have a need for reconciliation. The announcement alone for the stand-in demands that we have a need for reconciliation in each one of us that's placed in us. The world is broken. 
We're made up of broken parts. And God fits us together. We're all broken. And we all need reconciled with God and with one another. It's not like... (laughs) It's not like you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, gosh, man, heaven was super holy before you got here. Now it's even more holier. We're all broken. All of us. And as we'll hear, we bring nothing to the equation in salvation. Bring nothing to that. Well, we bring something. We'll get to that in a minute. So what is the way of reconciliation? What is the way of reconciliation? And before we talk about that, I want to read today's scripture for us. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, and mainly we're going to focus on verses 18 through 21. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, um, you can download a Bible app, real simple, on your phone. Uh, If you don't want to download it, you can pick up a Bible here on either side of the stage. It's our gift to you. We love the Word of God. We feel like it's more than just words on a page. We feel that Jesus is speaking. God is speaking to our hearts when we open God's word. So um, key in on 18 through 21, and we're going to read, let's read, um, (laughs) let's read, let's start at verse 13. I love it. I just want to read a little bit more of it. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. Whose fool are you? Oh, Jesus, I want to be foolish for you. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, Jesus, died for all. And therefore, all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We're going to talk about the way a little bit. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Verse 18, all this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men and women's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ah, come on. The way of reconciliation. There's a South African pastor in the vineyard. His name is Alexander Venter. It's a little bit small there. Should have made the font a little bit bigger. Anyway, Alexander Venter is a South African vineyard pastor. He's done some curriculum for Vineyard Leadership Institute. He's been pastoring in South Africa for well over 30, 40 years. During the time of apartheid, the apartheid regime in South Africa, Alexander Venter was a white pastor in Johannesburg. And what Venter did was during this, the height of the apartheid regime is he reached out to a few uh, black 
African pastors in the Soweto district of Johannesburg. Soweto is a district that's actually outside of the city of Johannesburg, extremely poor, predominantly African, all African, and was set up to be so by an oppressive government. And so what Venter did was he set up a joint service, a joint um, gathering with these African pastors, and he called it Joweto, Johannesburg and Soweto. And so Alexander Venter is one of the practical examples of working in an environment of reconciliation. And I love his definition of what reconciliation means. I thought to myself, man, if there's anybody who could define reconciliation for us this morning, it would be Venter. He's in the trenches for like 25 years working this thing out. Because how many of you know that reconciliation is a really easy thing to talk about? Forgiveness and peace. Reconciliation is a really easy thing to talk about. It's a really easy thing to throw up on our website and, hey, this is one of our values. But it's a whole other thing to live out. It's a whole other thing to show forgiveness to people we think don't deserve it. Failing to see ourselves as one of those people. So Venter says, by reconciliation, I mean the act and or process of putting things right between two alienated parties in order to restore relationship, justice, and harmony. This is done by removing the enmity or causes of division and by restoring a togetherness of forgiveness, trust, and mutual respect. Some have defined reconciliation as restoring justice, restorative justice, because individuals as well as groups or nations become alienated. Reconciliation has both relational and structural, personal and corporate dimensions. How good is that? So what, what is reconciliation? Very simply, reconciliation means the restoration of a good relationship between former enemies. And in order to achieve that relationship between enemies, the cause of their hostility has to be removed. Reconciliation means restoring a relationship between a husband and wife who perhaps don't love each other anymore or are separated from each other or are considering getting a divorce. Reconciliation means renewing a friendship with someone who hurt you deeply. Reconciliation means reconnecting in a family relationship with a sister or a brother that you've been alienated with for years. Reconciliation means peace between Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. And reconciliation means uh, peace between blacks and whites in America. Reconciliation and peace between Jews and Muslims in Israel. The implications are not just for us personally, but for our world. That's what reconciliation means. So what do we read here in 2 Corinthians? We read that God is the author of reconciliation. In verse 18, Paul writes that all of this is from God. All of it comes from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then in verse 19, that God, God was reconciling the world to himself. He's the author of reconciliation. He's the source. So if we're looking for peace... 
in a relationship, if we're looking for um, forgiveness or reconciliation with, say, a business partner who cheated us out of money, we find that nowhere else than in God. God is the source for that reconciliation that we seek, both in our uh, horizontal relationships and in our vertical relationship with God. He's the source. Meaning that Christ didn't take the initiative. Ah, awkward thing to say. Awkward thing to say that Christ didn't take the initiative because of our skewed perspective on how salvation looks in America. You have to hear me this morning that reconciliation comes from the heart of a loving father. Nowhere else. The source is God. And God is a loving father. And as such, Christ didn't take the initiative. But where we get it mixed up, especially in the West, is this picture that's a little bit perverse of what we think salvation looks like. And the picture goes like this. The picture is that of human beings being jacked up in our sin. We're just a mess. And God is on this huge untouchable throne. And he's ready to like, he's got like a stick in his hand and he's ready to beat human beings down with it. Right? And then Jesus comes along and says, no, Father, don't do it. Beat me up instead. How jacked up. And so, and so God the Father, being the sadistic father that he is, says, okay, I'll beat you, son, so that men and women will be free from their sin. Think for me, uh, think with me a moment of how jacked up that picture is. God, Jesus doesn't take the initiative and come to a sadistic father and say, no, don't beat them, beat me instead. The heart of reconciliation is initiated by no other person than the loving father God who loves his kids and his heart is not angry or mad or violent towards people. It's sad and hurt because he longs for relationship with men and women. So Christ didn't take the initiative, but you and I didn't take the initiative either. You guys know the verse, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God is grieved over the separation of people from himself, but so often we cling to these idols that we seek joy from. And so the problem is not necessarily on his end. The problem seems to be on our end. In Jonah we read, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. It was God who before eternity put together a plan to reconcile us and the rest of the broken world to himself. But Christ, so Christ didn't take that initiative and neither did we. We don't take the initiative in fact, we have nothing to plead. We have nothing to offer God. We, 
And that's a little bit countercultural to say. In the culture of I, God, where I am the God of all of my reality, and I've got my iWatch and my iPhone, and whatever I, God, that I want to worship in our culture, and whatever's right with me is right. There's no standard. So in, in this context, it's easy to say that I bring goodness to the salvation equation. But what we read here is that we bring nothing. We bring nothing. And that's the beauty of grace, that we bring nothing to the equation. In fact, the only thing that we bring, as an old Anglican bishop said, is our sin. That's what we bring to the table. We don't offer God a peace treaty. We're like, listen, I've got all this stuff that I want to offer you. God is not in our debt. Ever. God owes me nothing. So the only thing that I bring to that equation is my sin, is me being jacked up. And how, how freeing is that to hear? Ah. Uh, That means that I don't have to get dressed up looking all holy before God and trying to be something and someone that I'm not. I can just be me and say, look, this is what I bring. It's so backward from every other system and every other religion. Every other religion and every other system demands something of you to bring in order to be good. Jesus being the agent, God says, no, 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 no. Stop trying to dress it up. Just be you. I've already provided a plan for reconciliation to happen. It's not sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's sons and daughters who have lost their way in the hands of a loving God. And that's a freeing place to be. That's the gospel, but... Aside from any sort of like religious context, we try this all the time. I want to drive in here just a second, if you'd indulge me. Because we, we do this all the time. We say, God, we say, we say to him, God, my life is such a mess. I'll try harder next time. I'll, I'll do better next time. And that language just doesn't work with God. He's like, what are you trying to prove? Like, what? Like how, how good do you have to be? How not bad do you have to be? That's what's so leveling about Jesus. The, the level playing field means that everyone, everyone, by bringing nothing to the table, Everyone gets in on this. So we don't bring anything to the table. Christ is the agent. In 2 Corinthians 18 and 19, we read this phrase, through Christ, in Christ, reconciliation and being a reconciling community, a group of people who usher reconciliation into our communities happens through Christ. Not because we have like some grand idea but it happens through the power and the presence of Christ. Like, it's not just church that we're doing this morning. We're not just, like, sitting in chairs. We believe that, like, Jesus 
is Jesus himself is walking the roads and touching our hearts and changing us. We want to be changed by God. We want to be transformed. We're saying, God, I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what's best for me. But through Christ, in Christ, you know what's best for me, God. I can't see. How arrogant is it of me when I say, I know what's best for me. No one else knows what's best for me. We put a hand up in the face of community when we do that. Ugh. I'd be lost without community. I need people speaking. Don't you, don't you love it when people are able to speak into your life and tell you where you're wrong? It's the best. It's the best. Isn't it the best when people challenge you where you're wrong? Because when the opposite is true, you just go around thinking you're right all the time. <laughs> And that you know what's best for other people. And when you think, oh no, it's the best part. This is the best part. Cancel. (laughs) See, we're always trying to change people. We're always trying to control people like we're some sort of master puppeteer. Like we know what's best for them. Through Christ, Paul says, through Christ, in Christ. That's where reconciliation is found. That's how you live out being a reconciling community. And that's where you can trust other people's voices in community speaking into your life. We go around thinking that we know what's best for other people. We do it all the time. We do it in our marriages. We do it in all our work relationships. In our marriages, what it looks like, we're like, um, if you changed husband, you would be a better husband. If you changed wife, you would be a better wife. And whatever sort of habit that they're doing or wh- however they laugh, it's that annoying laugh, you know, that they do after 15 years. It's not just like, you know what I'm saying? It's that kind of stuff, okay? And then w- what we're really saying when we're trying to change people through our own strength. What we're really saying is like this world that I live in, it would be a whole lot better if you were more like me. It's pretty pathetic when we say it, when we just come out and say it. But that's really what we're saying when we try, when we try to change other people. When we try to, you know what? This world would work so much better if more people were like me. Why can't you people see it my way? All of the world's problems would be solved if you just saw it the way I see it. It's so ridiculous. But we bring this way of seeing and perspective into our relationships all of the time. And what Paul is saying, that it's, that's not the way. The new way is through Christ, in Christ, and, in that, and that's the only way that we can do it. That's the, by the way, that's the only way. And that's a little bit awkward to say in our culture. But that's the only way that we find reconciliation is through Christ. In Christ. In the person of Jesus. So Christ is the agent. And what that looks like is negatively God declined to count sins against us. 
to count all of our jacked upness against us. Meaning that like we ran up this credit card bill and we maxed it out and we don't have the resources to pay for that. He's got us. We're like, ah. We feel the acuteness of that verse in Romans that says all have fallen short. Everybody. Do you have a heartbeat? Are you a human creature? Then you aren't God. (laughs) Amen. Because we're not. We're just not. We're mean to one another. We're unkind. We write terrible letters to each other. We write horrible emails. Don't we? We comment. (laughs) Comment. I'm going to comment on social media. Because it's safe behind our computer screen. We say terrible things to one another. And a lot of the times we don't even know we're doing it. We're so unaware of ourselves. We don't even know we're doing it. And the thing that we say is just like a dagger. Or, or worse, we know. We know because we know the other person so well. We know, we know if we just say it with this little, with this little slight, that will bring up like seven years of hurt. And boom! And we deliver it. And we feel good about ourselves for like 2.7 seconds. And then that verse from Romans just comes settling down on us. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all jacked up. We're all in the same boat. Don't let anyone fool you. If they have a heartbeat, they're not God. The only person to have a heartbeat and be God was Jesus. And you ain't him. But we're growing to look more like him. So Christ is the agent. And positively, what this looks like is that he made Jesus to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. We're becoming something. There's transformation that's happening. Like your story is not done yet. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, transformation is possible You can change in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You can be that ideal version of yourself you wish people would believe with the filtered photos you put on Instagram. You can can become something different. You can become the better version of yourself, but it's only through Christ. It's only in Christ. So every time you come to the cross, every time you look at the cross, you should be thinking of the word exchange. Exchange. There's an exchange that happens at the cross that happens nowhere else. Our sin, what Paul is saying, clings to the sinless one, Jesus Christ. And his righteousness clings to us who are sinful. You see the exchange happening? He was stripped naked that we would be clothed. He was wounded so that we might be healed. He was rejected that we might be accepted. He experienced God's frown that we might experience God's smile. Should I go on? He was treated as the worst of sinners so that we might be treated as sinless as the Son of God. He died so that we would live. Christ stood in our place so that we could stand in his place. That's good news. That's good news to someone like me 
because of the next verse that we read that we're ambassadors. There is no way I'm going to finish all this. This is ridiculous. Too many thoughts in my head. Stop thinking. Just start living. We are ambassadors. This one's important, though. We're ambassadors. You know, you're, you're an ambassador. Christ says that you're, therefore, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's an amazing privilege. That's an amazing privilege. In Ephesians 6, he says, pray for me. That whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Interesting. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's, that's a weird combination of terms. Paul says he's an ambassador. who are often treated like royalty. And he's in chains. And it begs the question for us this morning, who are we? Who are you? Really? Who are you really? You might say, well, I'm a mom. That's, you know, pretty much my lot in life. I'm a, I'm a mom. I'm a salesperson. I'm a nurse. I'm a lawyer. I'm whatever. This is who I am. But what Christ is saying is like, yeah, you are all those things. And, and before that, you are an ambassador of Christ, and that is a really good deal. It's a really good deal. Well, it's good and bad, right? Because people are always watching. People are always watching. And you cannot, if you claim Christ as Lord, you cannot turn his presence on and off like a light switch when you enter a door. It's not like you can walk through the door and you'd be like, ah, I'm not a Christian anymore. Look at that. No, you carry Christ's presence with you inside of your chest. And so he goes with you wherever you go. He breathes when you breathe. You are Christ's ambassador first. In the middle of all the life stuff, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a teacher or a mom or a dad, a grandmother, a grandfather, no, you... You carry Jesus with you. You carry the promise of resurrection from the dead with you everywhere you go. And so what do ambassadors do? They announce an appeal. Ambassadors speak. Vineyard Cleveland, let's open our mouths. We have good stuff to share and invite people into. That's all I want to say about that. Ambassadors practice forgiveness. And this is really good. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, writes this. He says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have someone to forgive. <laughs> Anyone here have people who are difficult to forgive in your life? Every single hand should be raised. Why? Because you are someone's difficult person to forgive. I am so, hard to believe. <laughs> Even me. I'm someone's difficult person to forgive. <laughs> so easy to forgive. Oh, so easy. Um, yeah, anybody have any difficult people to forgive in their lives? But as a reconciling community, as this value we hold so deeply... 
We are committed to practicing forgiveness. That means that the business partner who cheated you out of money, even them, the person, the friend who really hurt you by excluding you, we forgive them. Why? Because Ephesians 4.32, Jesus says through Paul, just as in Christ God forgave you, he forgave you, he forgave me. And let me tell you, it doesn't have to be like a grin and bear it thing, like, oh, I gotta forgive. It's, this person's really difficult to forgive. You can get to a place where you long to see that work in other people. Uh, and the freedom that that brings you of letting people off of the hook. Just let people off the hook. What's it to you? It's looking, and this doesn't mean that, um, I'm not talking about reconciliation without justice either. Right? Right? But letting people off of the hook means, for, in, my, in my case, looking my abuser in the eye. And saying, you know what? I wouldn't wish those terrible things that you did to me when I was a boy on anyone. But I forgive you. And then being astonished that those words came out of my mouth. What? Jesus, are you in there so deep that I'm able to forgive my abuser? Don't you just love stories of radical forgiveness? When you hear the stories of of the trauma and tragedy of the Holocaust and Joseph Mengele and the scientific experiments that he did on Jews and Nazi Germany. And, and the story comes forward of this 94-year-old, 100-year-old woman who says, who looks her Nazi oppressor in the eye and says, I forgive you with a full heart. Doesn't that just light you up? Isn't that worth so much? So good. Lastly, this is it, I promise. This is the last, this is it. <laughs> Lastly, we, uh, we take up an offering. We take up an offering. And this is, no, this is not like the church wants your money thing. And it kind of is. We take up an offering. Paul says through two chapters of 2 Corinthians, imploring people to give to fund the mission. And he's doing that to take up an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. He saw the offering as a means of breaking down divisions between the rich and the poor, between Jew and Gentile, between haves and have-nots, so that there would be one reconciled church under the Lord's Lordship of Jesus. So some of you know there's a growing partnership between our church and City Mission. It's just such a reputable nonprofit in the area, just... Uh, a lot of stability in that organization. And so what we're going to do next Sunday is we're going to come alongside and support City Mission and caring for women specifically and single moms and mothers in traumatic situations. So on Mother's Day, and by the way, you, you are going to want to be here next Sunday for Mother's Day. What we're doing is we're not just doing the pretty little, if you're a mom, stand up, please, and we clap for you. Well, that alienates so many women in the room. 
we're honoring and acknowledging the full spectrum of the continuum of motherhood. And we're saying if you've lost a child in the last year, if you've had a failed adoption in the last year or so, we want to come alongside and sit with you for a minute. And part of that is working out of giving of ourselves in order to see women and moms thrive in the city of Cleveland. And so we're going to back that up with our pocketbooks. Now, I'm not asking you to give this in, um, in substitution of your tithe. Don't do that. We're, we're becoming radical, radically gener- generous people. We want to be the most generous people in Cleveland. So we're asking, in, a, in addition to your regular, your normal giving, that we would give to see women cared for in the city of Cleveland, women in traumatic situations. Do you know Laura's home through City Mission never has an empty bed? Never. And they have women lining up who have been battered, who have been beaten by abusive husbands, who can't find a bed to sleep in. And so there's a capital campaign that's underway with City Mission to make it available so that women are cared for. And Vineyard Cleveland, we want to be a part of that because we believe that women are the future. We believe that. We believe that the empowerment of women is important and significant and close to the heart of Jesus. So we're going to do that next Sunday. And we're, it's not going to be all heavy either. We're going to have tons of fun stuff for moms to do as well. You're not going to want to miss it. And I'm more convinced than ever that the person of Jesus and the way that he taught us to live is the world's only hope for reconciliation and peace. He's the only way that we can do it. Why don't you stand with me?